Welcome to Bible Study. This is Len in the place of Nick. I hope you will enjoy joining us today. Nick usually gives out some contact numbers at the beginning of the program. While he's away, if you would like to contact us, you could call 0400-753-909 or if you wish to send an email, send it to at len at bigpond.com That's A-T-L-E-N at bigpond.com In our program today we have four on the panel including me and uh, there's Helen. Would you like to say hello to our listeners Helen? Love to. Hello everybody. It's a, a privilege and a delight to be here and sharing with you today. And we have Will. Good place to be. Thank you, Len. <laughs> and Brenton, who's our facilitator today. Looking forward to sharing uh, the topic of culture and how it impacts upon our Christian lives with our listeners today, Len. So it's over to you now, Brenton. You are going to be our leader. Thank you, Len. I'd just like to say a statement before we begin. It says, as the gospel circles the globe, Christians encounter different cultures and practices, many of which pertain to family and social relationships. One of the great questions for Christian missionaries is to regard how they should relate to various cultural norms about many things, including family relationships they might personally find uncomfortable. Our study today is going to be based on this particular topic. We're going to look at Bible examples of how did God, through his Holy Spirit, guide the early Christian church as they came up against what in some cases seemed almost insurmountable social and cultural objections. But before we do that, I'm going to ask Will if he would be kind enough to pray for us because we really need the Holy Spirit guiding us today. Thank you, Will. Dear loving Father, as we navigate as individuals and as families the various cultures around us, we pray that we may in all circumstances still be lights and lanterns for the Lord and that uh, we may not change uh, to the detriment in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I uh, begin our discussion today, rather than going straight to a Bible text, by simply asking a simple question? Are there good points about culture? And if so, what are they? Well, if there's not, none of us have got any hope at all. Thank you, Because there has to be good points about culture. It doesn't matter who we are, we have some sort of cultural background. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Will, what do you think? Strangely, when I moved across to Australia, people in South Africa who didn't want me to come here said to me, never go to Australia, they're an unfriendly and arrogant lot. <laughs> have you found them that <laughs> and way? And I have not found <laughs> them that way. <laughs> but beside the prejudice, there is, um, there is differences in uh, various nations as you um, live and work among people. Um, and I think that's all to build us into a more rounded, a rounded um, Christian. Thank you. Helen, You, I know you spent significant time in uh, New Guinea. What did you find as some of the uh, cultural differences, shall we say, between New Guinea culture and Australian? Well, I guess the first thing that we found was the, um, dare I use the phrase, laid-back 
attitude. You know, in Australia, we in run... In regard to what, Helen? In, in regards to life, you know, predominantly. I mean, here in Australia, we run from here, we run there and everything, and, you know, we watch the time. And we got up there, and I can remember visiting a minister and his wife. They invited us for, for tea, and we went over there at 5, and they said, come and sit on the veranda, and we did, and we chatted. And 6 o'clock came, and we still sat on the veranda, and we chatted. And 7 o'clock came, and the wife finally said, I think i better go and decide what we're going to have for dinner. And I'm thinking, well, this is very odd. But within a few weeks, a few months, you know, we were doing exactly the same. I guess in this society, in this culture we have here, there are a lot of people that get ulcers very quickly and stressed out. That is one good thing that came from the culture out, out there. Let me tell you a couple of others, if I may, sure. because we were missionaries up there. Mm -hmm. um, there is a group of there was a group of people I don't know that they still are but there was a group of people that in their culture they actually ate the corpses of their relatives you know they would dry them out you know sit on the side of a mountain dry yeah. them out and then and they then would eat, eat them, them. Mm -hmm. now when we were up there we only knew of one tribe that was still doing <coughs> it there might have been many more but um, and we were up in there in the um, late 60s early 70s and I remember an incident where there was a young chap who was adopted by an American doctor and went to America to live. And he came back to visit his family. And he came from this particular tribe and somebody had died. And in respect to the culture, he took part in this, what we would consider, ugh, a horrible culture. Well, kind of cannibalism. Yes, there, that cannibalism. there was cannibals up there too when we were there. But the interesting thing was, and the sad thing was, that he got a disease which they got from doing this. And the disease in, in common terms was called laughing disease. Now, you hear the phrase, people laugh themselves to death. It is not a good way to die, let me tell you, because they can't stop. They can't eat. They can't sleep. They, it's just continual. And uh, th sadly, this young, young man died. In that instance, I believe that culture was not good for mm. anybody. Mm. Um, but I would like to, I know I'm taking a little bit of time here, but I would like to mention that... There was a culture up there which I had to come to grips with. When I was younger, I used to do dancing, mm -hmm. um, Highland dancing. And when we were in Papua New Guinea, we played the bagpipes, my husband and I. And there was another young man up there who also was a teacher, and he played the bagpipes. And he came to me one day when I was on a college campus, and he said, I need to, and I haven't done any of that dancing for many years. And he said to me, I need to have somebody to do exhibition dancing while I play, and I know that you know how to do it. And he said, will you come? I said, I need to, I just need to think about this and pray about it. And what concerned me greatly was the culture of the day. Mm -hmm. They have up there, they had their own dance. It was yes. called a sing thing. Yes. You'd go there mm -hmm. and they would eat buah, which was betel nut with lime juice. And it was horrible because it turned it red. But while they were doing their sing-sings, they would go into a trance. But that was their culture. That was their cultural dance. Mm. And and I had to think very hard about this. In fact, I did go to seek um, counsel from a minister once, and I said, am I wrong to do this? And he said, oh, I'd have to see your dancing. And I said, no, no, no. But the final outcome was that I felt very impressed that I had no right to do my cultural dance which was Highland dancing, when we didn't 
agree with their cultural yes, dance. Yes, we yes. almost condemned it. Yep, and so for point. me, that mm. was the decision I came to. I mm. respected their culture. But and, you didn't impose yours that's upon exactly them. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. These are the issues that we're going to be looking at today because uh, the first example is um, you all know in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, um, which we won't turn to but we'll quote it, um, Jesus actually said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the utmost parts of the, the world. The disciples were under no illusions as to what their task was. Their task was simply not to minister exclusively to the Jewish uh, community. But isn't it was it to go worldwide. Can I just interrupt? <clears throat> yes, and you It's may. interesting. <clears throat> when you were saying that, I visualised a circle, you know, and here was Jesus and the disciples, and he said, go to Judea. You know, that was the closest for mm-hmm. them, their family, yep. their friends. And then you go to that town. And what about and the next one? And you keep moving, and you keep moving, <laughs> and the circle gets wider yes, and wider. wider and wider and wider. Mm. That's exactly right. Uh, we want to have a look at the example of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is the first um, major person mentioned in the book of Acts who was not a Jew where the Gentiles began to understand the gospel. So if we turn to the book of Acts, chapter 10, Len, just quickly, could you give us a very brief overview of the chapter before we look at a couple of specific verses, because there's something like 40 verses in the chapter. All right, well, what happened? <clears throat> that Peter was at Joppa, and he was staying with somebody, mm-hmm. and it was around lunchtime. And I don't know whether Peter was hungry or sleepy or both, but um, before lunch, he had this dream. A vision it was, not just a dream. There's a difference between a dream and a vision. A dream can be about any old thing. Mm. A vision is something specific that God gives a person while they're asleep. Mm-hmm. In this vision, Peter saw this um, kind of sheet uh, let down from heaven. And in it were all sorts of objectionable animals and... A voice said, rise, kill and eat. And in his vision, Peter said, no, Lord, no, 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 I don't eat that stuff. I don't eat snakes and goannas and crocodiles and pigs and that sort of stuff. The sheet went up, came down again, same thing. Three times it happened later when Peter had wakened up, there was a knock at the door. And there were some people who'd come quite a long way from the home of Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion and said, would you come with us? Well, the upshot of it was that Peter went with these men who were messengers from Cornelius. He explained to them the gospel, that they could be saved through the merits of Jesus Christ and Uh, Cornelius and his household believed and were baptised. Thank you, Len. You've covered it pretty well, but also some of the texts that I want to have a look at. I asked myself the question, and um, I'm open to comments from our panel on this one. Had God not intervened in the way that he had miraculously, I wonder whether Cornelius would have ever received the gospel. 
Could someone read verse 28? Will, could you read verse 28 of chapter 10 of Acts? Len has touched on the fact that he received this vision, he went with the men, but verse 28 is particularly significant. He said to them, You yourselves know how it is an unlawful thing for a man who is a Jew to join himself or come to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man unholy or unclean. Do you find that a significant text, Will? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Prejudice does exist between some uh, individuals in nations, different uh, nationalities. And uh, not only is culture a problem, but uh, here we find the Jews who considered others that were non-Jews to be um, unclean and inferior. Mm. Mm. Helen? So we would really be saying God is against racism, isn't he? Mm. We would be saying that. And we should be against Mm. it too. And the question is, Mm. would Peter have taken this step had not God miraculously intervened and said, go with the men? Mm. Because if you study the book of Acts, you come to the conclusion that of all the places where God's Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts, this is one of the very few, if not the only one, where the actual house, the actual street and the actual person is named and you were told to go and find so-and-so who's staying with such-and-such, as Len said, in such-and-such a street. Um, How much more specific can you be with that? That's better better than a GPS. Mm. (laughs) uh, God wanted Peter to meet these men. (laughs) I believe the fact that that sheet came down three times Mm. was really emphasising that this was very important. Peter, pay attention. And we need to pay attention too. The clash of cultures is... um, is interesting in verse 25 when Peter enters Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him good one now um, the Jewish within the Jewish nation they would never worship one another but this is his background and Peter had to of course caution him I am stand up I myself am also a man so there's an adaptation there yes yes there is indeed also, can we have a look at verses 34 and 35? Helen, could you read those for us? Yeah, happy to. Thank you. I'm reading from Same the... Same chapter. Right. Mm. I'm reading mm. from the New Living Translation. It says here, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Okay, that's I probably went a bit further than you yes, wanted. I'm sorry, I okay. realised that after I read that. Mm. But I guess that the message here, it's, it's actually twofold, isn't it? it Those is. who seek God will find him, mm-hmm. from Cornelius' point of point and of view. And it doesn't matter what nationality you are. Yeah, and, and God loves everyone, and we need to share his love with everyone. Mm. You know, regardless of their economic situation, um, their culture, whatever, we Mm. need to share Jesus. Can you see Peter's growth in this particular experience? Len, you had a comment. Well, as far as the Bible is concerned, as we will discuss further today and already have discussed a little, um, no one person, no one culture can say... I am or we are better than you. That's right. Because in Galatians 3 verse 28 it says, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, before I finish here, Brenton, some of you listeners might be aware of some of these huge cultural differences. Um, In my reading about um, evolution, there was a stage, would have been in the early 1800s, where people with dark skin were considered like animals. They were. And this actually happened in Australia, would you believe, in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. They had a cull of all the Aborigines. The Aborigines they were did. shot. They did. Because they were considered Sub-human. Not, not quite human. Mm-hmm. Well, that is terribly unfair. Yes. I have a daughter-in-law who's um, an Afro-American. She is the cleverest person, a very nice person you could ever want to meet. Mm. Thank you, Len. Even though it seems as though Peter and the six men with him, because when you go to chapter 11, and we are going to go to chapter 11, because I just want someone to read verse 1 to 3. Helen, could you read verse 1 to 3 for us, please? In Acts, Acts yes, 11, 1 to 3. because mm-hmm. we would say, isn't it wonderful? The Holy Spirit uh, came upon Peter, and he suddenly began to see that the gospel had to go to everybody. He's convinced, but now he goes back to Jerusalem. We could say back to the uh, the headquarters of the church. And what's the response when he gets back, Helen? Mm. Well, they didn't like it. They criticised. But let me read it from Scripture. Mm. It says here, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the, dis- the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticised him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with him, they said. It's a bit of a downer, isn't it? After, mm. <laughs> after in the previous chapter you actually see that the same spirit that was poured out upon the disciples at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was also given to the Gentiles. They're speaking in tongues, just as the apostles were in Acts chapter 2. Here you get back to report all this to the church and what you get is you went in and ate with these guys. What do you think you're doing? It's interesting, isn't it, that we can have an experience with the Lord and we can be so on top of the mountain and yet we go back to our families mm. and because they weren't there or they didn't see the big picture, yes. mm-hmm. they they don't want to believe. You know? So the and big picture is so important, isn't it? And we've got to appreciate here mm. that those, those Jews had not seen that vision. Mm-hmm. Those Jews were so steeped in their tradition and yes. their culture, culture. They, were, they had tunnel vision, didn't they? Mm. Their culture. And but later on, let me just add this, later on, and I don't know if you're going to mention this, but later on, when it was explained to them, they actually praised God. We are going to get to it, but Len has his hand up. (laughs) Exclusivity is dangerous. Yes. When we think we are the chosen people, that is dangerous. Absolutely. Um, The Jews had this idea. And they tackled Jesus about this on a number of occasions. Once when uh, they were about to have a meal and the Jews said, how come your your disciples haven't washed their hands before their meal? Well, that was just a cultural thing. And I want to point out here that cultural aspects does not mean... um, a close connection with God. Sometimes we get things a bit mixed up. Sometimes we do. We think that culture 
is religion. But no, there is a difference. And when we think religion, oh, sorry, when we think the cultural things not condemned or approved by the Bible is what we must do, then we've made a mistake. Yes, yes, that's true. Here's, here's an interesting point. Uh, thank you, everybody, about this that I've just seen in looking at culture and the effect that culture impacted upon this example. What you've got here is a situation of where culture is so strongly ingrained particularly when in the Jewish mentality, that they are not able to see any other path or any other way. And one of the major weaknesses of culture, I believe, is it can give you tunnel vision mm. so that you cannot see that God is working in another way. Peter was able to see that God was working in another way. And luckily the story does end well, Helen. You mentioned it. So, But I'm going to get Will to read chapter 11, verse 17 and 18. Thanks of Acts 11, just to, to finish this particular segment to see how it eventually was accepted. Chapter 11, verse 17 and 18. Thanks, Will. For if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then... God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Can you imagine the seismic shift in thinking that must oh. have taken place on that day? <laughs> I can. They must have just sat there with their mouths open when Peter said, but God gave them the same gift as he gave us at Pentecost. What have you got to say about that? They had to accept that, didn't they? They had to accept it, but yeah. there was still opposition. Yeah, there was still Go some over to chapter didn't. 15. We yeah. haven't finished yet. Len, could you read chapter 15 for us? Verse 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. What do you think of that, Len? It seems as though some people didn't accept the decision. Obviously not. Obviously not. And, uh, well, that particular issue remained a contentious issue for a long, long time. It was a real thorn. <laughs> yes, mm. and it was a part of the Jewish culture that these people, although they were converted to Christianity, were unwilling to let go. Mm, good point. Will, what, what's your thoughts on the matter? Letting go of prejudice is very, not very easy um, in families and as a nation. I know that uh, even in the present time in the country in which I was born, South Africa, there is a reverse prejudice um, happening after the prejudice that was shown on uh, the the native population there and it's something that was I've even heard in sermons was they try to justify from the Bible and I couldn't believe what I heard it's something that's just hard to get rid of we are steeped in our traditions steeped in our culture steeped in our wants and our um, and our dislikes it's just the way we are 
Mm. I think we need to finalise this particular section, though, by reading verse 19. Helen, can you read chapter 15 and verse 19? Because after the matter had been debated at length, as Len said, um, you find an interesting comment by, made by James. Verse 19 mm. says, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Read verse 20 as well. Thanks. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the, the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Is there any mention of circumcision in here? <laughs> no. Mm. No. No, there's I, not, is there? I just, I just thought... Part, I think, the reason why they were so against the Gentiles was because it grew. That, you know, it just grew and intensified. Mm -hmm. The churches just sprung mm -hmm. up all over the place. Probably what you've got at the moment, Helen, is you've probably got a situation by now where Gentile believers are fast outstripping Jewish believers mm -hmm. in number. That's a good point. Mm. Mm. Len? Well, <clears throat> this amounts to prejudice. And I see this thing... Um, happening on television. For example, the Bathurst um, 1000. Which I watch. <laughs> where you have supporters of the Fords and then you have supporters of the Holdens, although things are changing these days, and then you've got the Nissans and people are divided into camps. In reality, a Ford gets you where you want to go, a Holden gets you where you want to go, and a Nissan gets you where you want to go, most times, of course. And so um, this... With apologies to There Nissan. is prejudice... A, a, a prejudice... Against. Um, no, what I'm trying to say that there is prejudice within culture. So, um, and it's a very hard thing to get out we encapsule ourselves um, with others in like-mindedness. Um, I know that um, the soccer games in Europe sometimes oh. end in violence. And, um, well, I mean, I they're all, say, Italians or all French, but, but why um, they should, there be, should be such a divide mm. Mm. among the different uh, yeah. spectators is unusual. Thank you. We're going to look at another example now. Uh, if we turn to the book of Genesis, uh, I would like to look at an example of how culture, or what was culturally acceptable, actually turned out ultimately to be quite disastrous. If you have a look in um, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, and 15 and verse 5, God made a promise to Abraham, or Abram as he was then known, then we're going to look briefly at chapter 16 and see what happens when we try and assist God with his plans. Helen, uh, could you read chapter 12, verse 2, and Len, could you read chapter 15 and verse 5 for us, please, mm -hmm. of, of the book of Genesis? These are two promises that God made to Abram. Okay. Chapter 12, verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, tell me, did he have any children at that point? No. No. Okay. Lynn? All right. Genesis 15, verse 5 says this. He took him outside. This is God. Took Abram outside and said, Look up at the heavens. And count the stars, if indeed you can't count them. Then he said to him, 
so shall your offspring be. Mm. Did he have any children at that point? Mm. No. Mm. Then we come to chapter 16, Will, and verses 1 to 3. <laughs> Let's share a little bit as to what happened here. First of all, before Will reads it, let me make a comment. Surrogacy, as we understand it in uh, Western culture today in the 21st century, is actually reasonably common. But it was also common between the third uh, millennium BC and the first millennium BC. And what is proposed here was actually entirely culturally acceptable. Thanks, Will. If you could share those uh, verses with us and maybe a few comments. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So, after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah's wife took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived and when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Okay, now what aspect is actually missing from this? Is God consulted in any of this at all? Can no, you see any evidence whatsoever of God being consulted in this matter? No. That's why we read chapter 12, verse 2, and chapter 15, verse 5, to show that God over a period of time, not in six months, over a period of years, reinforced the fact that you will become the father of a great nation. Helen, you were going yeah, to make a comment. I was thinking when I was looking at this <clears throat> particular incident, if I may call it an incident, it was a huge incident. In, in <laughs> fairly major ramifications. Yes, it did. Um, that, that was actually the culture of the day. Mm -hmm. And Abraham chose to follow culture rather than put his faith God. in God. Mm. And I think that was very, very obvious, you know, because the culture of the day, you know, if a woman was barren, she was shamed by her peers. Yes. And so the culture was that, that you sent your servant mm. um, girl, mm. and that was acceptable. But in God's eyes, it wasn't. Yeah, there's one aspect, Helen, just, just maybe you can touch on that. It wasn't only you were shamed by your peers. Mm. If you were not able to have children, you were considered to have the curse of God upon you. Yes. That's true. Okay, Len, you had your hand up. Well, this is another aspect of this. <clears throat> Abram was 75 when he left his, shall we say, home country. He was 100 when Isaac was born. And how old is he when... Uh, Ishmael is conceived. Well, 86. So, yeah, right. 11 years. So, what I was going to highlight here is when God makes a promise, God will keep that promise unless it's a conditional promise. Yes. We must be aware that some of God's promises uh, are conditional. conditional. Abram, or at least Sarah, or Sari, or Sarai, at that stage got impatient. And when God makes a promise, we have to let God work it out in his time. And if his we time. run ahead of God, we will make mistakes. Now, mm. just to follow this up, Ishmael was born, later Isaac was born, and they really were the fathers of the two great divided nations 
in the Middle 